0: In 120 days and then some, this year's legislative session opened and closed and a lot happened. Nevada lawmakers passed over 600 bills. The governor vetoed a record, 75 of them, and we got inundated with one too many wonky baseball references. Lucky for us, Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we've got contributor and Nevada Current reporter April Corbin-Gurness back on deck to help us break it down. So, what were the most important bills that will affect Southern Nevadans, and how will this session go down in the history books? Spoiler, there's going to be a reference to Dante's Inferno. It's Thursday, June 22nd. I'm David Figler. And here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. April Corbin Gurnis of the Nevada Current.
1: Ah, thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Well, it's been a long 120, Plus plus days, April. If you had to describe the 2023 legislative session with a movie title, what would it be, uh, and why? Uh,
1: so this might be slightly deep cut for people. But this, oh, I the movie, like The Deep cuts. Yeah, the movie I think of is uh As Above, So Below, which is a found footage horror movie. Uh, <laughs> oh my
0: god. From wow. about a okay. decade ago.
1: So uh-huh. pl- plot synopsis, no spoilers. Uh no, it's uh you know a group of people uh traverse the catacombs underneath Paris sort of seeking treasure and instead they find themselves in hell specifically like Dante's Inferno levels of hell. That's what this legislative session reminded me of, just sort of going through hell looking for treasure and sort of emerging battered and beaten and without much treasure at all.
0: I don't have as good ones as you do. Um, Maybe A League of Their Own might be a good one if I had to do a baseball movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe The Hangover, maybe The Binge. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so... Let's just get into what the legislators did do. What bills passed that you think have the biggest impact on on us here in Las Vegas in the in the Big Valley?
1: Yeah, and I told myself I was not going to come on here and be a buzzkill and just talk about bad things. So let's I'm going to start with a bill that I think is pretty wonderful and and important, um even if it's just a subsect of Southern Nevada. So there was a uh, bill to appropriate money to help relocate residents of Windsor Park, which is a neighborhood in North Las Vegas that has just sort of been devastated and the land uh, is not suitable for homes and the, the homes are crumbling, but there are people who are still living there and they need help to move somewhere where their homes won't fall apart. Uh, and so it's like $25 million from sort of coronavirus relief funds, the federal funds, and um, like $12 million from the general fund, which has to be repaid sort of slowly back by the, by the city of North Las Vegas. Uh, but hopefully that sort of brings relief to a neighborhood that has been blighted and sort of let crumbling over several decades.
0: Yeah, the conversation around Windsor Park was really interesting. Uh, Just the devastation of how unsuitable it is for a lot of houses that have been built and the Mm -hmm. fact that real estate agents are still getting new people to invest in there when all the disclosures weren't made and the lack of repairs. Okay, April, what other good impact on Southern Nevada bills got passed?
1: You know, and I think maybe this uh, will... It's controversial in terms of whether or not this will be a good impact. One of the most substantial things that they passed uh, in the session was they created a hundred million dollar matching fund to support a homelessness sort of support campus at worst. That is another sort of courtyard of hope or whatever it's called in downtown, where they're just removing all of the homeless people, the vagrants from the strip and housing them somewhere out of sight, out of mind. At best, it's a model where people can get resources and help. What that looks like in in reality will remain to be seen as it's sort of developed. Um, but that is uh, the start of something, good or bad. Um, we saw this session. Yeah.
0: So did they put the 100 million matching funds before the cart, in other words, uh, is there definitely only one place for that money to be spent, or does the bill allow for a little flexibility on how best to serve the population of unhoused people?
1: Unfortunately, the, the $100 million matching fund is to create—it funds the infrastructure to create a campus that hosts, hosts that stuff. So the money for the additional resources that would be offered within the homeless corridor campus thing that they create would sort of have to come from other places, which is is— uh, problematic. And and certainly we didn't see a robust discussion about this bill because it was introduced really late and suddenly and had really quick hearings. So people couldn't sort of process it and, and come up with opinions on it and and push back on it. But that's something we'll see hopefully going forward. So it's how optimistic you want to be, I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, April, we mentioned two big bills. Any others that impacted Southern Nevada that are worth noting?
1: Uh we saw a lot of um, very hyper-specific things that could impact people. We had some Medicaid coverage expansion to like postpartum women um, and autistic individuals. And abortion was protected further this legislative session, which uh, obviously that's not sort of Southern Nevada specific, but is an important issue to a lot of people. uh, So that was good. If you plan on dying and you want to be composted instead of buried that passed this session. I know you guys have covered that uh, in an episode. Uh, so that's that's a good follow up uh, yeah. for people who care about that. Uh, but well, I'm also
0: thinking about the school board and maybe the change of uh, composition of the school board, which really is going to impact us down here a lot because it's so vocal. Mm-hmm. What exactly did they do? Could you maybe lay that out?
1: I believe they changed the makeup so they'll be more. Uh, they'll be appointed members on the board rather than fully uh, elected, which is what it currently is.
0: And what do you think that they thought that that would do?
1: I think they thought that would sort of bring grown-ups to the table. <laughs> I don't know that they worded it that <laughs> way, but that's that's kind of what um, you know. I, I think it translates to where they that would was bring, the yeah, that they would bring more expertise to the board. Uh, sort of they, they like to make a comparison to the, the uh, Board of Education, which is an appointed board. So people who are appointed to the uh, Board of Education at the state level typically have some kind of background in education. Like they've, they've worked in education policy before, they have experience that's sort of directly related. And one of the criticisms of the Clark County School Board in particular has been that it's filled with people who have no direct experience with uh, education like some of them don't have like higher education degrees or they work teachers or they, you know, they're like dental assistants and things like that, which are valuable, important careers. Citizens, but not participating. Citizens. And that's the debate. Do you need that kind of expertise for the board or is it better to be an every average everyday citizen? And that's something we've wrestled.
0: Right. With. Do you need to be an economist to be able to espouse economic theories? Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So we'll see. Again, that's a thing that could have a potential impact, but also could largely be a distraction from the real issues that are happening within um, the the school board. But there was a lot of education money that was flowing through. There is 200 billion extra dollars that were given to the per pupil fund, which should have an impact at our schools, giving better resources and hopefully raises. There was an additional fund that was passed, um, a $250 of matching fund that would sort of help school districts um, give raises to teachers. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think – unfortunately, we might see some pushback from that. And, and we, that still has to play out at the district level and at the union collective bargaining level. Mm. Um, so whether or not that translates, um, because I'll tell you now, the school district will argue that they cannot raise money using a one-time fund because it's unsustainable past next year. So it's, it's going to be a fight, I think. Uh, so whether or not that makes an impact is, remains to be seen.
0: Sure. But uh, certainly, with Clark County School District being the fifth largest in the country and obviously the big mm-hmm. one here in Nevada, uh, all those bills that you just mentioned are going to have some sort of impact. The question is, in what direction? <laughs> so, exactly. So yeah. many unknowns, known unknowns. Mm-hmm. All right, April. We we talked about the bills that passed. Um, I know there's a lot that were vetoed, a, a record number for a single session. So, what bills passed through the legislature but were vetoed that could have had an impact down here in Southern Nevada?
1: There, there's a several uh, housing bills that were vetoed. They were ranging things from like rent caps for seniors. So not rent caps for everybody, not rent control for everybody, but just for senior citizens who are typically on, you know, fixed incomes. Uh Lombardo vetoed that. There were other tenant protections around sort of the eviction process, around uh, transparency and fees, uh, and and around eviction programs that would help. A lot of that stuff was vetoed. So the the housing advocates and people who are worried about that are, are very concerned about what happens when sort of our COVID relief money ends up and uh, prices don't seem to be going down. So um, uh, I I think there's a lot of concern about some of the housing stuff that has been vetoed.
0: And I want to just focus on housing for a second because I think that makes a really good point because certainly, There are housing concerns throughout the state, up in Washoe, uh, throughout the rurals, et cetera. But I think Clark County really has uh, a magnified version of that uh, simply because of the number of people who live down here and the number of evictions that have been going through and how easy it is to, you know, for a a landlord to be able to get a tenant out or at least scare them out. Absolutely,
1: Uh, And it's compounded because people are still moving here, right? Like we're not a fixed (laughs) area. We're still one of the fastest. We're not the fastest at the moment we're still really high up there so people are still moving here um, from places like california you know wherever and and we're we're going to see more of that
0: Uh, besides housing april um, what other sort of southern nevada impact bills wound up getting vetoed by governor lombardo
1: i think one of the most surprising ones was sort of free uh, breakfast and lunch for school
0: children for oh. kids,
1: I was expanding it. Obviously, Lombardo vetoed it on the grounds that it sort of cost money. Um, <laughs> but it's a weird thing. <laughs> he
0: vetoed to... something because it costs money because nothing else costs money in the legislature.
1: Yeah. And it's I just feel like uh, even just politically and sort of from the public, like saying, no, we don't want to feed kids is like a bad look. But like drawing the line at feeding children who are hungry at school, it's it's a weird line to draw, I think.
0: Well, taking all that into account, what did this session tell us about Governor Lombardo's approach and our divided government with, you know, both houses of the legislature in the hands of the Democrats, but not with the supermajority?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think... The the interesting thing about the election of Joe Lombardo in general was that he did not have a legislative pass. Like he was not – he was an elected official. He was a sheriff, but obviously not passing laws and passing bills. So we didn't sort of have his history. So I think everybody went into this session wondering what kind of governor he was going to – Uh, What kind of governor he was going to be, whether or not he was going to try and be more of a Sandoval who has the reputation of being, uh, you know, a compromiser and working across the aisle is generally liked by everybody um, or whether or not he was going to be. Uh, sort of more of a wild card and more of a be more of a hot mess or whatever and kind of uh, have a little bit more of a tumultuous time uh, and and I think what we've seen and he sort of made clear was that he is not afraid of that veto pen and that he uh, blew the record out of the water. It was like forty eight. Now he's like seventy five is the new all time record for vetoes in a single session. That's that's a really high number and a lot of the vetoes sort of didn't make sense to a lot of people, right? So like, he signed two bills that were sort of helping the trans community, right? It was gender-affirming care, barring insurance companies from discriminating against gender-affirming care. He passed that. He passed a bill that forces um, the Department of Corrections to have policies related to trans people, again, something that the trans community and advocates had sort of been pushing for, yeah, two good bills. Yeah.
0: But- Came right through, and then he he also got pushback on that from his conservative base.
1: But then he on the other end, he vetoed a bill that was related to protecting the providers of gender-affirming care from being like prosecuted in other states and being discriminated against by licensing boards and things, yeah. which it's all in the same vein. So, like, why, why do you draw that line? And certainly he tried to explain it in sort of veto messages. Um, but I, I think it was to a lot of people sort of haphazard. And and we saw a lot of rumors about. Vetoes coming just because people were being petty and sort of, you know, there there was a lack of, I think, continuity in terms of logical thought. uh, (laughs) Well,
0: I mean, that's not unique to this session. Yeah.
1: You know, I think there there's a case to be made that Lombardo needs to market himself as the person who says no to the Democrats. Right. Remember, he had a he was in a really competitive primary race that had a lot of people. And he was um, seen as not the most uh, the, not the most right wing of, of those groups. So oh, he, no, not
0: by far. <laughs>
1: not by far. Right. So he was sort of seen as the moderate, which I think helps in the general election. But you have to get through a primary. Right. So I think that marketing yourself as a, you know, governor who's tough on the Democrats and willing to veto all of these useless policies probably helps him.
0: Let's talk about the elephant in the Capitol building, which was the A's special session, the one where the Oakland A's came with a little cap and said, please, uh, may we have all your public monies? And we <laughs> promised to build this wonderful thing. The A's special session got the most public debate in the shortest amount of time. Quite a few lawmakers on the Dem side ended up voting for the bill. What happened here? April, what was the horse trading? What didn't we see as the public?
1: We didn't see uh, almost all of it. We didn't see, honestly. I, and, I, and I think when I was on here last talking about the A's thing, Vogue sort of mentioned that she thought it was a done deal because it you wouldn't call the special session unless you would have had it. She's um, so smart. And you know what? I she love was... my co-host. So smart. <laughs> and I think she was sort of dead on. But I will say that I think that the push was really hard. Like I think that it was not where it should have been when they started it for that. They, they passed in special sessions deals that were much bigger than this Oakland A's project in a shorter amount of time. Like Tesla was like two days, you guys. Like it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. So I think there was a lot of pushback and there was a lot of people who were very uncomfortable with the idea for whatever reason. I think because largely it was re- it's really unpopular among everyday Nevadans, right? What exactly the horse treaty was uh, is is behind closed doors because they don't have to be open about it and it's all that. I think you, there are some things you know, we know. They, re, they resurrected a bill that Lombardo had vetoed that would require any companies receiving tax abatements from the state to uh, offer paid family medical leave. So that's a, that's a really small bar in terms of expanding paid family medical leave. So we saw things like that. But I, I think largely it was pushing from... The, the labor unions and the groups that did want it.
0: I mean, the part that came out to me that was so upsetting was what were the A's willing to give? Steve Yeager, the Speaker of the Assembly, came out and said, look, we've got the best public benefits package that anyone's ever had in the history of, of this government. I'm just like, how can you say this was so transparent and so discussed when we don't even know what the A's were willing to do or what the A's were bringing to the table or... What was, like you said, traded on and off, especially with all that union involvement?
1: Mm-hmm. And and I wish I had the answers to that, but it was really closed off. You don't have the answers. Can we
0: get another guest? (laughs) I want a guest with those answers. I want to know what was said behind closed doors, April. You know, you call yourself a journalist.
1: Invite John Fisher to the podcast. He wasn't
0: even there. How would he know? He's the uh, president of the or the owner of the A's, rather, was not even present. Didn't even bother the show.
1: Super shy, media shy, and just sort of keeps to himself. Oh yeah,
0: the shy the shy billionaire. Those always work out so well for Nevada. The
1: shy billionaire, yeah. And I and I think the most fascinating thing is that if you look at beyond the public subsidy, just the fact that most people in the baseball community and the sports community like do not think of John Fisher as a good owner. Like I think there is a general general sentiment that like the MLB league and them just sort of want to shove John Fisher away from Oakland and shove him somewhere else. And they pick Nevada because we're suckers. That's like a narrative that you've seen across, which is not great. So you'll see a lot of hemming and hawing about the community benefits agreement. But again, it's so minimal. Like It's like a promise that we will hire 15% of companies that are diverse or whatever. And it's a promise that like we will give uh, it's either 2 million dollars or 1% of ticket sales whichever is greater will give that back to the community in like nonprofit stuff and like to support little league but you like say that 1% per- so you're talking about, like we'll give 1% but they're also getting uh LET live entertainment tax exemption which is 9% of ticket yeah. sales yeah. so like okay we're not winning here guys like in the long run right these are there are deeper conversations that we have one step had. forward
0: eight steps back that's what that sounds like. Exactly. Oy.
1: You know, we can come back and have a whole episode about reforms that could make the whole system better. Um, but a, but certainly, that. that's why I started this episode talking about hell and our descent through it because this last 120 days plus really showed you all of the all of the bad things that can happen and the factors that lead into it. So. Yeah, I wish I had answers, but I
0: don't. <laughs> oh, no, you've got lots of answers, April, and we'll look forward to having you <laughs> deliver more of those as the weeks and months uh, come upon us. April Corbin, Gurness, thank you so much for coming back to CityCast Las Vegas, breaking it down. Love it.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: <laughs> Before you go, a few things you should know. What's going on, Vogue?
2: So on Tuesday, the Public Utilities Commission heard consumer comments on a proposed 3.3% NV Energy rate hike. In these public hearings, many Nevadans said they're worried about choosing between paying their power bills and paying for other basic needs such as health care. Energy issued a statement saying that the increase is needed to cover the $92.7 million spent in 2022 when they purchased natural gas and power. Also, as the Oakland A's are probably going to move to Vegas, federal lawmakers are reexamining Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption. That's a ruling that has allowed the league to function as a legal monopoly for over a century. So last week, California Representative Barbara Lee introduced the Moneyball Act, which would require a relocating team to compensate the community it leaves behind. (laughs) That's all
0: for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, here's what I want you to do. Send this episode to three friends who don't know about CityCast Las Vegas yet. If just one third of you listening does this, we're going to double our listenership. That's math. Also, you'll help us reach new ears and share a great show with people you like. Win, win. Hey, we'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. What a great conversation with two people, one who's really super smart and the other one who's sitting in his closet.
1: I am also in my closet.
0: Oh, two people in their closet, one who's super smart wearing glasses.
1: Yeah, okay, there you go. (laughs)